Hello and welcome to LedgerCast. My name is Brian Krogsgaard. I'm here with Josh Olsewich. Hey, Josh. Mr. Brian, how are you? Uh, I am doing well, and I'm glad everybody's here with us. Today is a Monday. We normally record on Fridays. You weren't feeling well, but that's fine because it left plenty of room for uh, coming up with what we wanted to talk about and to be able to uh, discuss this episode. Um, and I got a, I got a call from a, or a text rather from a friend of mine and I'm going to summarize it here. Um, let's see. So he said, Hey, I need your advice. I just opened up a Robin hood account. That name doesn't matter for now to dip into crypto, starting out with some funds. What I want to play around with, where should I put it? Just want to put it in and let it ride for a while. And I found myself typing a book in response, which I should have my answer for that pretty well prepared, you know, but I didn't. So we're going to call my friend T and this episode is for him and others like him. And we'll talk about strategies getting started. And we'll also talk about kind of how to structure your portfolio allocation and how to, um, Kind of how to think about those that initial investment like what percentage of your net worth should you put in or your percentage of your uh total dollars invested should you expose to crypto or should you buy it all at once or over time and we're going to try to compare some numbers we got a couple of tools that are neat to help out with that josh you have talked to, about this uh kind of as a steady reminder pretty much throughout this show's history but i don't think we've ever dedicated an episode to it have we I don't think so. I think it's a really great topic because 99% of people shouldn't be trading anyway. So yeah. <laughs> what you should be doing is planting a tree every day for the rest of your life in investing and forget about trading. You know, this should be boring. We'd say that all the time. This shouldn't be exciting. This shouldn't get your blood rushing. This shouldn't get your adrenaline pumping. None of that stuff is good for long-term profits. I mean, just look at Warren Buffett. Does he look like an adrenaline junkie? I mean, I don't know. I don't know what's underneath that. uh, (laughs) Facade. That that (laughs) old man facade. Oklahoma facade or whatever. He's Oklahoma, right? I don't know. No, but the whole thing is like, it's not gambling, okay? It's investing. Yeah. This should be boring. Omaha. He's in Omaha. There you go. Oracle of Omaha. The Oracle of Omaha. Yeah, so but one of the first videos I did when I was... Just to interrupt you again, yeah, that's, that's why I have a hard time like doing videos on this stuff because it's to me, it's so basic and so boring. It's like, no one's going to watch this. Nobody cares until like a lot of people start caring. You know, like now sort of feels like that time uh, where we're even I'm getting a few people messaging me about um, DCA and that sort of thing. Anyway, go ahead. Yeah, I found that really interesting. It does seem like there's interest picking up and I think it's in investing broadly, part in in no large part due to, or in no small part due to, uh, relative euphoria in the recovery of the stock market. I think, um, and people then reaching out beyond just okay, well here's the stock market. What else? But, um, one of the first videos that I put out when I was actively promoting my ledger status learn thing was the difference between trading and investing. And 
no doubt we are more talking about an investment lens here, whereas a trading lens is more your willingness to get in and out. Um, certainly, you're not so much worried about like long-term capital gains if you're just trading. Uh, so your your hold periods are going to be less than a year uh, or less than a month. There's different types of trades. There's low time frame scalps. There's swing trades, which are you know kind of your two weeks to two months maybe as a good rule of thumb. And then there's your longer term plays, which may hit a year or maybe longer than that. Whereas when you're talking about investing, you're talking about trying to get a portfolio allocation. So a percentage of the funds that you intend to invest exposed to an asset class like crypto or like tech or, uh, you know, gold or, you know, commodities, you may have these different things that you want to expose a portion of your portfolio to. When you do that, you're usually approaching a market from an investment perspective. So we're primarily treating this as, okay, you want an investment in crypto. Uh, after that, I think the first thing for us to talk about, Josh, and I'm going to put just a, I think I'm going to put a um, weekly chart of Bitcoin up here while we talk so that my mug's not on the screen the whole time. But I think we need to just start from a attention investment perspective because one of the things that i realized as i was getting into crypto is i could not pay attention you know like i just uh and i don't know if it's because it was moving quickly when i was first getting invested which was early 2017 um you know it was when bitcoin was breaking its previous all-time highs and uh ethereum was going insane so like i i couldn't not pay attention because it was moving so fast but then I got into a, uh, a method of essentially always, always being on. Like I couldn't turn it off. So I feel like you're pretty, um, pretty disciplined from, a, from the thinking about it perspective. Like you're a systematic trader. What, and uh, I want your input on that. Before I do, let's just back up for a second. None of this is investment advice. That's the case for any episode that we do, but we are not trying to advise you or tell you exactly what to do. We're going to talk more about how we approach this market and how we would talk to our friends about this or something. But, you know, do your own research. Risk is on you, yada, yada, all the disclosures. Uh, they're also in the show notes of every episode. Um, but this is a common question where people are like, I got some dollars to put in. Help me out. So we're going to try to answer that question from our own perspectives. So, Josh, talk to me about the the cost of paying attention to a market once you have financial exposure to it. Well, I think for for Bitcoin or crypto specifically, because it's so new, not only is it like exciting because you're making money, but it's exciting because it's an invention that's never existed before, right? Yeah, yeah. It's not then, it's not like buying disney stock right and then once you i think once you really you understand it on a, on a level where you realize okay like it's xyz it's actually like not too crazy it's pretty on a simple level it's it's interesting and it it, it, it in of itself is boring you know btc like obviously you can do a bunch of stuff with it but it's not it's not as flexible as some of the other altcoins and et cetera, et cetera. but like from a, an investing perspective, I think that's 
that's what drew me in like what is this new thing that people are buying drugs with right <laughs> like like that was the exciting part um and then then it goes on to like oh let me learn this trading thing let me learn about all these indicators let me learn how to make money when prices going down and going up you know that that's kind of the the pandora's box i think that everybody goes down yeah especially like you already mentioned with everybody uh retail trading literally anything now on Robinhood or anywhere anywhere else you know um and it's it's worth noting you know i've got this chart on linear right now if i move it to log it doesn't seem as severe um but it's worth putting on linear because this is more along your lines of psychology your perspective of your investment and the way you feel about it positively or negatively is naturally going to differ based on whether you're in profit or at a loss. Josh, you have a chart of like percent in profit, something like that. Do you have that available? Um, because, you know, if you bought back here and you are like super safely in profit because you bought Bitcoin sub $1,000, the difference between Bitcoin being $10,000 and $7,000 doesn't matter to you. But if you bought Bitcoin, let's say at, you know, twelve dollars or $13,000, which you've had a couple of periods where you might've done so, well, the majority of your time holding your investment, you were then pissed off because you'd lost money and maybe more so if you'd lost money relative to the rest of the market. So like you bought Bitcoin because it had all this promise, things that you heard about when you were doing your research and you're down 20, 30, 40, 50%, maybe more, you know, top to bottom, it was what I don't know, 80% or something, 70%. Uh, and meanwhile, the stock market or some other thing that you could have invested in is doubled or whatever. So your psychology can easily be impacted based on whether or not you're currently in profit or at a loss. And therefore, you need to take that into account as you're getting started and you're setting up your portfolio to try to minimize the psychological impact that this will have on you when you're approaching it from an investment perspective. Especially if it's a large portion of your uh, historical wealth and especially if you start to correlate it with like real world value like you know this is uh, a trip to the grocery store this is an expensive meal this is this is my rent. annual salary this is a year's <laughs> uh salary you know when you start thinking on that scale things start to get scary psychologically yeah and um, your brain is going to be your uh well not not your brain your brain can be your your greatest uh you know, guide here, but your, like your lizard brain, your, that gut feeling inside of you, um, that inner voice can easily be your biggest enemy, constantly calling yourself an idiot or a genius, you know, depending on where you are. And you need to get outside of yourself and look at this rationally at all times. And one of the things that's worth considering is that if you know you're going to get sucked in, if you put um, I want to use some numbers just so that we can have a basis. So let's say your total dollars, one Bitcoin is $10,000. We're going to use that as our basis. Let's say you want to, uh, you have $100,000 invested across whatever you consider investments. Maybe that's uh, what you have in the stock market or what you have in retirement accounts or what you have in you know, cash reserves that are kind of investable, whatever you want to call it. So you're looking at maybe one Bitcoin is going to be 10% of your investable portfolio. Um, that's 
if you're close to retirement, that's a pretty significant percentage of your net worth to expose to an emerging asset class that is magic internet money, right? Like this is not a corporate, uh, this is not a, a corporate security where there are buildings and jobs and you know products attached to it. This is a speculative internet currency, <laughs> so you have to consider those risks. But if it's uh, if if ten thousand dollars is ten percent of your kind of investable funds, then you have a fixed risk that you've assigned to this ecosystem. And even if it goes to zero, you've lost ten percent of your portfolio. Now, you may be upset about that if it does go to zero and always consider the fact that it can go to zero. I think that's one of the safest ways to protect yourself mentally is to assume this money can all go away because Josh and I can both tell you we know lots of people who've lost all the money that they put into crypto and then they're gone forever. So step one is to consider what is the amount I'm willing to risk, meaning exposed to this market broadly and lose the majority of, or maybe even all of, and can I, can I stomach that? Would you agree with that? I agree. Um, I just looked up this uh, post on Bitcoin market subreddit. It's from six years ago. And I still think about it all the time. It's a, a few bits of advice from a former poker player. I'll, um, we'll post it somewhere, but it is, it is so good. It is such a good post that uh, I just, I think about it almost weekly um for six years i've thought about it almost weekly can you pop it in telegram and i'll i'll share it on the desktop. The nuggets in there are just so good and it's not it's not like long or anything it's most of it's common sense to anybody that's been around for a while but uh it hits at all the stuff that we're talking about yeah yeah an amount that stings to lose but doesn't impact you long term is a right off the top fantastic first thing advice um and that's where I'd start. And stings to lose is a good point. If you just, you know, if you put an amount of money in that it's not going to really affect you, like your upside is going to be more limited there too. Um, like if you have, if you have that same hundred thousand dollars and you put a hundred bucks in Bitcoin, like if it goes 10 X, you're still going to be salty because you're like, Oh, I only put a hundred bucks of this. I should have put $10,000. You know what I mean? Um, so the the sting to lose component, I do think I do think that helps as well. So I like that I like that aspect of it. Um, what the proper percentage is for each person, it's really up to you. Uh, let's say though that you're gonna you're gonna invest this enough to sting type of amount. We're gonna stick with our you buy one bitcoin, so it's ten percent of this hypothetical person's investable assets. Um, or maybe you're young and you're younger, and you know you have less savings. And let's say you've got twenty thousand dollars to your name, and you're investing ten thousand dollars. Well, that ten thousand dollars to you, that sting is bigger, <laughs> right? Like same dollar amount, but if it's fifty percent of money to your name, then uh, you obviously need to manage your risk differently because it going to zero hurts you a lot more than the person who put ten percent in. Um, so consider that these numbers and all their examples, but they really make a bigger difference depending on what your overall tolerance is for risk and loss. And you just have to consider the fact that th that can occur. Um, but I, I love that about the amount that stings to lose. So the next thing to figure out is, okay, I believe in this ecosystem. Like I've, I've, you've sold me on crypto. So 
how do I invest in a way that I'm not going to get pissed off? So this is why Josh and I often talk about dollar cost averaging. Josh, can you give us the intro to dollar cost averaging? Not only what it is, but also you've done some, you know, you've talked about how like whether or not it's a good idea or not from a pure numbers perspective. So the opposite of dollar cost averaging would be lump sum buying. And historically, lump sum buying of stocks, for example, has always outperformed DCA, mainly because stocks have a bullish bias historically and because DCA has fees associated with it that lump sum buying doesn't. Um, for instance, if there's a flat fee for every trade that you take or every purchase you make uh, versus the percentage, then obviously DCA, you're going to get hit with that fee more, right? So this is oftentimes why you see a lot of uh, real investment people say like DCA this, DCA that, right? Because it encourages you to rack up these fees uh, for them. Um, the other part about DCA psychologically, again, it prevents loss aversion because it goes back to that uh, first point we made, trade the amount that stings to lose, but doesn't impact you long-term. So with DCA, like, <laughs> you know, if you're like paycheck DCAing, so you take a hundred bucks every two weeks and buy Bitcoin, um, you tend to care less than if you take a whole paycheck that week or that month and buy Bitcoin. And then it goes down a couple of percentage points, right? Yeah. So that, that goes back to the psychology aspect. Like if you're one of these people who just cannot take this the psychological torture of being down in money, a percentage point or five or 10 or 50, whatever, um, then DCA is really good for you. So what I've got now, this is our price of Bitcoin and this is a 12 month moving average. So if you had DCA monthly, then your average price right now would be 86.41. The best case DCA over a uh, one year period would have been 54.85. So you never would have captured the lows of like $3,300 Bitcoin. So you're spending $2,000 more per Bitcoin, even in the best case scenario. Um, but you're smoothing out that overall cost and it's gonna prevent you from buying an absolute top. So right now you could say, okay, well I'm bullish Bitcoin, but if we go back down to you know, five, $6,000, well, you're down 40% or whatever out of the gate versus if you do it over time, you're at least smoothing out your risk exposure because you're buying monthly. Another thing to think about from a fee perspective, like you mentioned there, Josh, is most of the time in crypto, you're paying a uh, percentage in order uh, to buy when you're already on uh, in the ecosystem. So if you're okay for exchange exposure, let's and you have this ten thousand dollars, you might be able to onboard your ten thousand dollars and only pay that. There's like a flat fee, oftentimes, right, when it comes from a bank. Um, so like you might pay that fee once, but then when you leave it in USD for for a period while you're buying your installments, that's one way to reduce the risk uh, or the fee exposure, but you're increasing your exchange exposure so there's a balance there too and i would only use the really trusted exchanges if i did that and on the whole i would say it's worth eating the fees rather than the exchange risk in that scenario but it's an option that you have for sure um 
So in that, go ahead. And these days you can even throw it in USDC or, and then put it in the DeFi ecosystem and then get a yield on that. Yeah, that's right. Um, That's actually good So there's all sorts of weird stuff you can do now. I think that might be one of the things I would consider if I was doing this would be throwing the stuff that I'm not investing yet into a DeFi thing and get some yield on it. And it'd probably make up for your fees in the first place, but once you're said and done with it. Um, So if we visualize dollar cost averaging, there's a good website, DCABTC, DCABTC, dollarcostaveragebtc.com. This website allows you to say, okay, here's my purchase amount. Here's my purchase frequency. How long do I do this for? And when do you start? And uh, it even lets, lets you compare it to other assets. And one of the things you'll see on this chart is Bitcoin is the wavy one. And, you know, the Dow Jones Industrial Average and gold and some of these others are the ones that look really straight in comparison. Um, so in our $10,000 example, this person's over buying over the course of a year. They're buying monthly. $833 is their monthly purchase amount. And if they accumulate for one year, if you started two years ago, this only lets me do every year. So 24 months back, um, you know, we still had some downside. You didn't buy the top, but this is one of the worst performing categories that you could have picked. And you're still up on your investment overall, but you're not up like a ton, right? You invested 10 grand and now it's worth 11.3. So that's and that's starting pretty close to the top of the market so this is kind of where your uh protection comes in because it's really hard it's really hard to have you know to dca over the course of a year and be just absolute top unless there's the market distributes and the bottom falls out and you bought for an entire year where the market was you know just sideways but high um, if you go to three years ago, you would have caught a lot of the upside of the market. So your account would have been worth as much as 24000 at one point, but it would be worth 17000 right now. Um, and then one year ago, your... Is this right? Looks like one year ago, you'd be up about 10%. So I thought it'd be better than that based on the current setup. But um, either way you're seeing you can see in the squiggly line on that website that bitcoin's volatility is going to be higher than traditional markets even when traditional markets are volatile um but it's uh it's a good way to visualize you know what are you what are you putting out there and another thing to consider is you may accumulate for more than one year like there's nothing wrong with saying you're going to spend less like eight hundred dollars a month is a lot of money for just about anybody with a normal life but let's say you accumulate for three years and $200 a pop uh, starting three years ago. That's $7,200 invested, uh, currently worth eleven seven. Um, the risk here is if, you're, if the market is truly bottomed, you're almost guaranteed to pay a lot on your average price. Wouldn't you say, Josh? Because like, over three years, the market's going to have some kind of cyclical upside, and it's going to be tough for you to get closer to the bottom, like a true accumulation zone. There's probably a whole cycle in that in that period of time, wouldn't you say? Yeah, but if you're completely divorced from anything, yeah, this is pure, related this to, is you know, this is more cycles. along the lines of stack and sats, right? 
Like right, if you're just saying, you know, I'm just gonna buy no matter what happens. Yeah, this and is the your end, at the end of the day, couple, you don't really couple care, phone right? bills equivalent, two hundred dollars a month. You know, many Americans can afford something like that from an investment perspective. Yeah, so like if your time horizon is five to ten years, then what do you care, right? <laughs> like that's the other thing is adjusting your mental return for yourself. Like you're not thinking about today, tomorrow, next month, next year. You're thinking about five years, ten years, you know. Like to get in when some of us got in in 2013, to think of where we are now, I wasn't necessarily in that mindset. I'm definitely thinking 2025 plus now, um, whereas before I was definitely thinking like month to month, <laughs> yeah. month to month return, like, oh my God, I bought at the top, you know, what's, gonna, what's going on here, that sort of thing. Um, but over time, I think you uh, settle into your zone from your investing, your investing hat, and you realize, okay, this isn't like the end of the world. If yeah. this stuff's gonna actually do something someday, uh, it's everything's gonna be okay, right? And I think it's safer in Bitcoin to have a longer term average now than maybe it was back when people had no idea if Bitcoin was gonna be able to stick around. Like when you were first investing in twenty, was it twenty fifteen? Um, 2013 20, 2013 yeah that's right so yeah. josh is a top buyer and he averaged in the whole way down um so he basically did this strategy uh for a while and 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 dollar cost average and that's how he that's how you don't get stuck in that oh my gosh i put it all in at the very top uh and then you just wait and wait and wait forever until it uh you know breaks even but either way back then people didn't necessarily know that Bitcoin was going to be around five years later. Uh, it was still very much an experiment. It was only four years old and it didn't have near the broad mainstream attention that it does now. And I think yeah, that, that's a, that gives a that's lot a more danger. Confidence. People yeah. get in, like I got lucky. I was a community member immediately, right? I got baptized immediately by <laughs> price. Um, and so people see this, what happened to Bitcoin and they assume like it's going to happen to, in the altcoin. Um, they see it happening to stuff like Link and Tezos very quickly. And I think people get bamboozled by hype and alt cycles and they think, you know, I'm going to get rich quick, really. <laughs> yeah. And uh, your best bet is just having a massive time horizon and just buying what you can when you can, you know? Yeah. And for me, mine was a little different because I knew – we were in the, uh, not the, I didn't think it was the top of the market or I wouldn't have been buying. I knew the market was hot um, because I was buying early exposure to crypto when it was breaching prior all time highs, pretty much, uh, almost exactly, actually. Because no, in that spring, the prior high was back when uh, Josh first bought it into 2013 and we were breaking those in early 2017 and i knew that we were seeing price expiration happen so my purchases were a little more frenzied and that left me towards more of a got like a base plus strategy whereas i i was buying higher each time but i was buying these big dips as best as i could um 
So I was putting in fiat all the way up until maybe like 4K per Bitcoin. Um, and that was when some people that I, I had this episode with Low Strife back a couple years ago. And he was like, man, that was my moon moon price. Like he was like, I was looking at that. It's like the uh, 4.618 fib extension from the all time highs. Like that was the moon. And I was like, and I was buying with fiat back then, <laughs> you know, like, uh, but I knew even at 4K, like I knew this was a hot hand and um, I stopped, you know, advocating other people around me that Bitcoin was on fire and, you know, very interesting to pay attention to by then because I'm not telling somebody else to buy ten, twenty thousand dollars Bitcoin when it started the year at one thousand um, dollars. I knew it was a very hot hand, so I was I was going in deeper fiat wise uh, in order to be able to gain my exposure quicker. Um, and then it became a, a scenario where now if I put in money, it's got to be a really attractive price, like a really nice big dip for me to be able to put fiat in today. But I think you can do kind of that base plus type of uh, method where let's take our $10,000 person. Maybe you do put five grand in in one go, and then you spread the other five grand in over time. That way you've got that stingable exposure up front, and you're not going to miss – like you're not going to be upset that you missed upside if Bitcoin breaks and goes straight to all-time highs from here or something. But uh, you've got room to continue to buy the dip as we move forward. Yeah, I agree with that completely. Like for me early on, the paycheck DCA was just what I could do, you know? Right. Um, but if you're sitting on a lump sum possibility, you're either buying when we're down 50% like we were in March um, or you're you're waiting, you know? I, I agree with you. I don't think, I don't like just blindly DCAing anymore because I I just, there's too many really severe dips in the market that are really good just buy opportunities. You know, yeah. BTFD is a meme because <laughs> it works, It works, right? Yeah. Like historically, uh, you've yeah. been, you've been, uh, not you, but there, there are big gains when you just buy the dip, right? So like, why wouldn't you just wait, right? But it's hard to be patient. People want to be actively investing. So they want, they want to be appearing as though they're doing something. So that I agree. That's why I like, maybe even DCAing 50% of your stash and then waiting to buy the dip with the other 50%. That's another approach as well. And we can start to uh, dig into the specifics of if we're talking to people in, in the, in the now. So we'll use my buddy T again. Um, in this scenario, this, this gets it. Why this is a struggle for me currently. Um, because we are at a, something's going to happen <laughs> type of level, even on this weekly chart, because it's like, I don't want to be the guy that told my friend, like, go for it, buddy. <laughs> like buy, buy Bitcoin. We were just at $4,000 because of this incredible liquidity failure in the market uh, in mid March. And now we're early June and we're 9,700. Um, at the same time, we could have a massive breakout to the upside any day. Like I am positioned actually for that to occur. So I don't want to tell them don't do it, but I also want to say like know your risks, know your downside, and you're probably safer leaving yourself with some capacity to buy the dip and also 
understand the psychological component that if you invest your whole stash right now and if that's an amount of money that truly stings if you lose 20 percent in three days which can totally happen if this type of move breaks down you're you might not just be mad at yourself you might be mad at me because i told you to go for it you know um but this is like a I mean, coiled I, up snake man I, we don't know what's going to happen but I always tell people like, are you going to be more mad at me if you lose money now? Or are you going to be mad in five years when I told you to buy in 2015 and you didn't, um, you know, that's, that's the kind of mental juggling I think people are going to have to do. Like, again, back to time horizon, like, what do you care about the next six months, right? If you're, if you're quote unquote investing, what do you care? Yes, I and I agree. So that's with you. what I tell. The that's what I tell your when, friend. You know, when they like, say, "I want to let it ride," you you have to know your friend. Like, what kind of person are they? What, how, do they know themselves? Are they going to truly be able to going to let it ride? Do they have that Josh Olsewich level of chill that if they lose thirty <laughs> percent, like they're like, "It's okay, whatever." You know, just keep keep at it, keep going. This is an investment, no big deal. Or are they like going to freak out over it and? You know, blame you, blame the world, whatever else. Yeah, you definitely have to know know the person. But the safest advice for anybody, I think, is just blindly DZA every week. Ignore everything as best you can and look at it in five years or every year, you know. That's yeah. that's my best non investment investment advice. One of the one of the things that you can do with that too is get the um, this need to pay attention. And I would say that was one of the hard things about when I first invested because I knew the market was hot. And like, you know, you're, you know that there's a little bit of hot potato going on there because, hey, this thing's up uh, two, three, four X from an all-time high breakout. Uh, the whole world's talking about it. I know this is just a hot asset. So uh, do I need to pay attention to this every day so that I'm, I'm ready to, to get out of there before the bottom falls out. Um, that's not the type of healthy market that you would prefer <laughs> to be making early investments in. That's not what you would call like where you're buying accumulation and looking for a long-term play. That's uh, significantly different. It's trying to not buy the top of a bubble. And you're almost guaranteed to be paying much more attention when you buy into that type of market versus if you buy into like a pretty low-key chill boring market that takes a long time to do anything at all and you really don't even feel significant differences day to day based on what the market moves are doing because you're desaying over such a period of time of accumulation and i would say that's pretty much what we've been in like really ever since probably march of 2018 when it, when it was pretty clear, like the bull market is over, bear market is on. Like if you started DCAing back then, you're still bored today. <laughs> You've been bored for uh, almost two and a half years of getting in, in, interested in this market, but you're probably getting closer to the the place where your your long-term accumulation will start to pay off if we break into a new bull market. Yeah, I mean, historically... There isn't much price history above us, so if you've been DCAing for even two or three years, you're you're in massive profit right now. I think, I think you're doing just fine regardless. 
Yeah. You know, even if we range in the zone for another two years and then break up, you're still doing fine. Right. Right. And I think if I would, here's how I would approach this market currently. And I'm someone that obviously I look at charts. I like to pay attention to things from a, um, both an investment and a trading perspective. So like I want investment, my investment perspective is I want to maintain crypto exposure for a long time. My trading perspective is I'm willing to be in and out of a market uh, in the interim. And I would look at this as a current tradable setup where I want some long exposure, but I do want to maintain my ability to buy the dip. Like I'm not going all in at $9,700, but I probably would seek some exposure if I was here because of the you know the long the narrative that we have in the in the economy and the ecosystem and uh you know all the all all the reasons why we've talked about for weeks about why we think bitcoin has a bullish narrative that exists here while we're also sitting right at the tip of a weekly breakout from a price perspective so i want if i've got my $10,000 of budget i probably would look at putting a third to a half in here and then if it breaks down, I'd probably try to buy an early dip with another part of it. And then if it really breaks down and goes into a bear market, that's when I would kind of turn on a DCA for the rest. And then maybe even more more than that, depending on if my ability to invest over the long haul increases, then I would, you know, just start that slow accumulation if it really breaks down from the, the levels that I was anticipating from the long side. Yeah, I mean, we're in a weird place because we've been raging for two years, maybe, on all charts everywhere, no matter how you look at this stuff. Um, we look like we're bottomy. We look like trend metrics are favorable for up on almost everything. Um, so, yeah, like, if you don't, it's hard because, like, you, if, the, if you didn't buy the dip that just happened, like, the probability of another dip that size, it's like... <laughs> Yeah. I just think it was it's hard to imagine we'll get 4K I don't know why I'm again. thinking about weather, but um, like if you have a you're in like a category five hurricane comes, right? Like what are the odds you're gonna have another category five hurricane in the next one to two years, you know? Yeah. You uh there there's you reminded me when you said something there about another component of the question from from T was oh, hey, you know, if you're in Robin Hood or Coinbase or wherever you go, you can, other than Cash App, you can pretty much any of these places buy more than Bitcoin. Um, so the next question is uh, should you consider additional assets? And this is a part where I said if the plan is to let it ride, I don't trust anything to outperform Bitcoin over the long term. It by far has the most sound fundamentals. Uh, and everything's super volatile. So I said, um, for the most part, you know, let it ride type of scenario. I said to uh, stick to Bitcoin. That said, there's plenty of tradable setups in alternative assets, but now you're really committing to doing much more than being exposed somewhat to crypto and not have to pay attention to it all the time. Now you're choosing between Bitcoin and other coins and Josh and I, I'm pretty sure, are both going to tell you like we are much more comfortable with long-term exposure to Bitcoin than anything else, even if the chart is in a nice accumulation like this that we see with Ethereum currently. 
yeah, I've gotten more comfortable with Ethereum recently <laughs> than I was prior because the ICO stuff cooled off. Like it got boring again, right? Yeah. Ethereum got boring. All these other new coins, Tezos, um, Link came along, sort of ate up market share, ate up market share. People kind of forgot about Ethereum. Then DeFi starts creeping up a little bit. DeFi showing promise. And the Ethereum chart looks freaking great. You know, like, so, so I feel kind of bad saying like, hey, Bitcoin only because Ethereum could out Ethereum could double relative to Bitcoin. Um, realistically, based on the chart that it shows, this is a bit, this is an Ethereum to Bitcoin chart that I'm currently showing. Um, and if it breaks up, the upside is considerable to outpace Bitcoin. My hard my my challenge is trying to tell someone that's newer to the market like whether that'll be the case a year from now or two years from now or will it lose like 60% of its value relative to Bitcoin it may be up in dollars if Bitcoin does well but it could lose a lot of its relative to Bitcoin value in that time and I'm already trying to tell them about the volatility of Bitcoin I have a hard time telling them about the volatility of altcoins relative to Bitcoin well, it depends like how complex they want to get here, right? Like, do they want to DCA into a basket? Do they want to DCA a small percentage into a higher risk, higher yield return thing? Like, like do they want to invest in the NASDAQ or the S&P? Like, that's how I see it. Yeah. Right? It's like, I don't know. Or do they want to invest in gold or do they want to invest in uh, Tesla, you know? Yeah, and you know you've got some higher risk, higher reward types of scenarios with, with some of those altcoins. Um, that said, there's a time and a place for altcoins. And if, you're, if your idea is longer term trade setups, in my view, the longer you plan to hold an altcoin, like let's say more than a year, the more likely it is to lose value relative to Bitcoin. Whereas if you time your purchases when altcoins are more depressed, but the you know fundamentals relatively stay the same or whatever, like you have better chances of trying to buy some blood in the streets or breakouts, you know things like that that are more attractive prices for altcoins. So it's I might look at a, a longer term or a midterm altcoin purchase as getting value relative to Bitcoin. Um, rather than just assuming that it's going to outperform Bitcoin over the long haul. Because I think Bitcoin is the true growth stock here. Like it's the true, or it's the blue chip at least. Um, and of these others, we really don't have the Googles and Amazons like proven growth over a long period of time. Like they're all still super speculative. They're all, none of them have really gone public. You know, they're, they're still in the startup phase and they can, they can go to zero truly. Um, like venture capital type of investment thesis or risk profile more so than, you know, just buying a tech stock or something like that with a uh, strong growth uh, formula. Right. Did I go too far? Yeah, I agree. Analogy? No, no, I agree. I mean, Bitcoin has 10 years of price history. What else, what else has 10 years of price history, right? Yeah. What else has 10 years of development I mean, of Ethereum's got issues. more than just about anything else that, matters and what's when did it come out 2016 um but even then the 2017 ico bubble was so impactful on ethereum's price history that 
you only have a couple of years of like slightly calmed down Ethereum price history. And it was that range goes from a $1,400 top to an $80 bottom. So trying to identify what is the type of price that makes sense for Ethereum is pretty challenging when you really only have a couple of years of decent price action that's not just total super ICO, uh, I mean, generational bubble driven. Yeah. <laughs> Even now, like they, like I'm calling 750 uh, on Ethereum. Yeah, because look at the, the range you have to year. work in. 80 to 1400, like there's... There's a lot of dollars in the middle to be able to range trade. So if your if your aim is to range trade, Ethereum could be great. But if your aim is, hey, do I think this is worthwhile to have investment exposure in relative to Bitcoin? I think the longer you plan to hold that trade, the the worse of an idea that is. Yeah, I mean, my target for. Ethereum is firm and will not expand past that yeah. <laughs> unless new evidence is provided. But you know, for BTC, I don't. There isn't really a long-term target, right? Yeah, and I think if you, uh, my last thing, if you're planning to play a market long-term, uh, and you do want to have some exposure to other stuff for, than Bitcoin, um, I think if I was going to set up, tell someone, hey, here's your portfolio construction, I'd say. 50% needs to be Bitcoin only, and it needs to go lock, lock itself away, uh, not to be touched. Another 25% probably needs to be Bitcoin, but maybe you swing trade it. Maybe that's your active trading account that you might send back to dollars or you know whatever, like periodically. And then no more than 25% would be kind of your uh, altcoin budget for probably large cap altcoins. Any more than that allocation, and you're probably going to end up spending more time analyzing your account than it's worth. Um, and that allocation still leaves you with a capacity to really get a significant amount of gains in the market if that if altcoins do well or whatever else. Uh, and in that scenario, you're at least going to have half of your initial investment that's socked away in Bitcoin. Hopefully, you'll achieve long-term capital gains and not deal with all the other mess in it um you're not you gonna... can also use yeah analogies like talk about like a cd or talk about like an mma account ma mma account money market account uh talk about it like a, a bond you know like a like a generational thing you know that's how i would i like to bring it back to people yeah uh, when i'm trying to like expand their time horizon is to say like okay like you said, lock it up. Like literally, just forget about it. It's another way of locking something up, right? Yeah. Cold storage. Um, That's not necessarily your pathway. You know, you hear a lot of stories in crypto where people are like, "Oh, I put five hundred dollars in the market, and uh, now I've got five hundred thousand or five million, or you know, like some of these." It's really hard to take five hundred dollars and turn it into five hundred thousand, right? Uh, usually, the people that did that, they got extremely lucky several times. Uh, investing in far more than just Bitcoin unless they got Bitcoin in like 2011 or something. And even then they held for a long time with that Bitcoin. A more reasonable type of thing might be over a period of years, maybe you multiply your investment at a faster rate than you would in legacy markets 
uh, maybe you get two, three, four, five times the performance of legacy markets. So if legacy markets go up 50% over five years, maybe your your investment goes up 250% over five years. I don't know. I don't know exactly what to tell you, what the targets are, all that kind of stuff. But that would be the type of more reasonable profit profile that you might be able to see in positive territory rather than some kind of rags to riches story because those require much more active trading much more overall risk uh much more much more uh dedicated participation in the markets and super actively trading taking way way more risks and certainly with more than bitcoin or if just with bitcoin using things like leverage which most anyone that we're having this conversation with should stay 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 away from uh because that you're getting much more into gambling territory rather than investment territory yeah if you're watching uh that guy from barstool and you're enjoying his content you know that's gambling <laughs> that's <laughs> right. not investing <laughs> Um, and anybody can do that anywhere with anything, go to a casino, right? Uh, yeah. That's not what we're talking about here. Yeah. We're trying to, we're trying to talk about how do you gain exposure to a market that's going to give you, uh, enhanced buying power with your funds years from now and be the type of investment you look back on a long time from now. And you're pleased that you made that investment, that, that you structured it in a particular way, et cetera. It's not a it's not a rags to riches path even even in a market that has a lot of uh, opportunity like crypto does. All right. Yeah. So, my final thought is just buy the dip, buy when it's boring. You know when it's a crowded trade because everybody's talking about it, and uh, enjoy the ride. Don't don't freak out too much. Yeah. Don't invest more than you can afford to lose. Keep listening to this podcast. Eventually, Josh and I will talk about. Uh, top things in crypto. We just haven't had many of them yet. Like we're in, we're not in that stage of the cycle. Um, but y you'll know, you'll know if we hit bubble territory where it's like everywhere. Your, you know, locker rooms talking about Bitcoin. Your, your, your parents or your grandparents or you know your friends that never talk about investing stuff asking you about uh, crypto or Bitcoin. You'll get, you'll see signs of when it's really time to make some larger moves to take profit in the ecosystem. My favorite is when people who don't talk to me ever ask me about crypto. That's my favorite indicator for, you know, <laughs> stuff is really happening, right? Usually we're popping off at that point, but yeah. All right. That's our answer on that. So, what, Josh? Let's. Uh, you had a bunch of stuff that, that you want to talk about in addition to that, but I hope that helps for anybody that either you want to use this for yourself, maybe you want to send this episode to somebody. We'd appreciate that. Uh, that's a good. I don't know how much time we spent on it. <laughs> Probably thirty minutes or or more uh, about how we approach this market. Now let's uh, let's go to this. Whatever you got to talk about, Josh, take the floor. Yeah, a few people are asking about uh, leverage. I personally like five to 20 X five to 10 X is my sweet spot. 20 X is like, I'm super sure again, only use leverage if you uh, know what you're doing, which isn't most people. So keep, keep that in mind. Um, someone was asking about rotating in and out of ETH uh, versus BTC. If I look at the ETH BTC chart right now, I really like how it's coiling 
and it has a bullish bias. We talked about this maybe for the past two weeks now. Sorry, let me find it somewhere here. Uh, where did I put it? While you find that leverage-wise, um, there it is. For the people that just listened to the last whatever forty-five minutes, um, don't look at leverage yet. If you're comfortable with trading, if you've if you're comfortable with in and out of USD to BTC. Um, you're starting to get a feel for markets. What you think, sir? What you think may be tops or bottoms? You're ready to spend some, you know, energy leverage trading. Um, I don't really ever use more than uh, like a five x type of margin in crypto. In legacy markets, I keep most of my leverage by using options, which is a fixed risk essentially. So if, you know, if you're buying a call or something like that. Um, depending on where you're from, that's a, it's a lot harder to trade options in crypto than it is in legacy. Um, but I don't, I've not traded margin really in months in crypto, and I've I've had plenty of volatility for me for me. You know, like it's not not something I really miss. I stress out more when I when I trade with margin. You just have to all the psychology things we talked about. You have to take those even more seriously when you're trading margin. Uh, with like these five and ten x type of products, uh, whole different, yeah, whole different game. Your psychology is amplified times a hundred. Yes. Especially if you've if you've never invested before, if you've never traded before, if you've never uh, gambled before. <laughs> like uh, I encourage everybody to try it with a small amount of money, <laughs> uh, just to see, just to see how fun it is, really. But uh, yeah, anyway. Um, so someone's asking about BTC. So I really like it. This is the two-day chart on Bitfinex. Um, I like everything about it. I like the volume profile to the upside is, isn't is strong. So there's little resistance to the upside. I like the yearly pivot at 0.35. I like that we're on the 200-day, or the, it's actually the 400-day EMA uh, on the yearly pivot. So if this breaks it should be a very clear signal on a lot of systems that people are watching that this is a really strong bullish upward uh, move momentum. Um, I like that the bull cross is about to happen here. I like that fundamentally ETH has some sort of shenanigans. I posted this on Twitter yesterday, I think regarding um, the staking 2.0 phase zero. What was the whatever. number of days of lockup that they're talking about with that? Cause I didn't, I don't know the details of the, the way they're doing staking lockup. I don't, at the end of the day, like it doesn't even matter. It doesn't even matter. <laughs> like as Just long the as they're staking with staking. the yield and it's offered on multiple exchanges. But isn't it? Look is, at doesn't it make it look extra at, bullish if it's like you got anything keep it locked with, up for thirty days or something? Honestly, it doesn't even matter. It doesn't matter. It sounds extra bullish to me if that's if they really have to lock it up for that long. Until until it's finalized, like who knows what they're gonna do, but. um yeah. So, so dude, I mean, look at ADA. That. that isn't even live yet, and it's it's doing what it's doing. Look at that line. That so, line yeah, really, chart you have. What's that red moving average? Uh, it's the 200, 200 period moving average on the two day chart. Okay. So it's actually the like this is already crossed. Somebody yeah. earlier was asking about range trading and how do you know when it's a range? So like when I see EMAs crossing over and over again, yeah, um, that's usually a good sign. If I don't know visually what's going on, that we're ranging. Yeah. So when I'm looking at that, I'm now waiting. I need either a higher high on that, on the top side, or 
look to trade the bottom side of the range. And what's interesting about this one, if I flop back over to myself real quick, is this is yet another daily consolidation right below the prior daily consolidation high. So when this breaks up, it's it's going to blast through all three of these daily consolidation points. And if it breaks down, it's almost guaranteed to play the lower range of it and go back down, you know, 0 0.021, 0 0.022, something like that. This is gearing up for a heck of a move, though. Right, but that's why I went higher on the time frames. So when the market slows down, you increase the time frames. That's just the general rule I think most people use. There's even a ascending triangle, I think, on the low time frames here. Yeah, it looks just like it's as me. this is like trying to break up right here. So I don't know. I don't. I'm not in a position necessarily to, like to trade this well. But are there still a jillion uh, longs does... on Ethereum? What's that? Are there still a jillion longs? Is like the Bitfinex longs? Yeah. So there's we can talk about that too, but uh, that hasn't changed um, at all. So it's a super crowded trade on Bitfinex. Funding is all over the place on Bitmax. Um, there's all sorts of reasons why that this is going to be an issue, but yeah. Uh, so that's ETH BTC. So that's your R1 right there, which goes back essentially. R yeah, right. To that zone. Yeah, 0 0.034. Um, this is so yeah, you got to be careful because if you're watching BTC and like, is this an ascending triangle here? At 10k, if we break 10k, what's going to happen? Like, I expect this to explode if we actually break 10k for the what fifth time at this point. Um, yeah, I think I think that's the driver down for Ethereum relative to Bitcoin and alts relative to Bitcoin. If we bust up hard on Bitcoin, I think these alt pairs are going to take a beating, even if their USD equivalents do well. I think that's what sends this back to the lower bound of the range on Ethereum relative to Bitcoin. Like I, I would want this to get tighter, like as tight as this is on the two day. Like if this gets even tighter, it becomes even clearer when the breakout happens. Because if this were to break up now, I think it's a little early actually. But it's got your five touches of a, you know, consolidation. That's nice. Yeah, I wouldn't rule it out as a as a bullish breakout, but I think that um, actually makes it super bullish if it doesn't go all the way to the bottom of the range. Uh, I I get kind of frustrated by crypto sometimes when it takes these patterns and it just sends them out as far as possible, like kind of what you're seeing there on <laughs> that Bitcoin consolidation. It's like they go to the all the way to the tip, you know. Like sometimes you what you used to quote this statistic about. You know, most uh, consolidation patterns will break before they're seventy-five or eighty percent full. Yes, yeah, uh, three quarters is yeah. usually the rule. So, so, like this, this should break up if it's going to break up. Otherwise, the, the, so if a pattern like, has a bias, more more like distribution, and it doesn't goes. break the expected direction when it's three quarters completed, at least these triangles, um, you expect it to break in the opposite direction. So yeah, if you're looking at this for BTC and you're expecting this to break up, it's like, okay, we expect BTC to break up. We expect ETH BTC to break up. How's that going to be possible if BTC is going to break 10K? You know, where's ETH going to go? If ETH is going to go up, I think it goes to 750 within the next six to 12 months. 
how does it do that with the staking nonsense? Yeah. So like I can I can piece together a story for myself. Sailor07 in the uh, Twitch chat said that those Bitfinex longs cumulatively are paying $200,000 a day in margin funding. <laughs> I've never thought about cumulative funding on an exchange like that, but that's amazing. Yeah, I'm trying to find the graphic. Here it is. Too many charts. Yeah, that's a big yikes in my book right now. Like that is a freaking crowded trade. That's the notional. That's 418 million notional longs uh, on Ethereum right now. Ethereum, right? Yeah, for Ethereum. No, like, is it dollars or? Yeah, that's in dollars. Okay, so 418 million dollars. Considering so that, that represents whatever percentage of the circulating supply like i don't care it doesn't matter who knows but yeah because um, for bitfinex yeah. for someone to be long there's got to be some ethereum back there behind it as collateral or it, i guess they could use more than ethereum as collateral but it's it's more stronger spot positioning it's not like these synthetics like if you go on bitmex and the open interest on ethereum hits a certain level that's all just bitcoin uh even if it's reflected in terms of the response due to whatever the Ethereum price is. Um, yeah, it's just scary. Not to mention Bitfinex, yeah, so Ethereum, to be long on Ethereum on those perpetual swaps, that, that funding has been crazy too, more often than not. It's been super expensive to be long. Yeah, I mean, this isn't investment advice either, but you shouldn't be long ETH on Bitmax ever. I don't trade there, haven't for years, but uh yeah just watch the funding on that <laughs> i mean you're paying like 0.1 percent um, per eight hours or something like that that's every few days you're giving up like more than one percent probably of your total of your position which is leveraged so if you're 20x it's much more like it's extraordinarily expensive to be long perpetual swaps when the funding's against you yeah it's just it's beyond silly um, so are uh, you leaning bullish things. on, on ETHUSD? What's that? Are you leaning bullish ETHUSD? Yeah, I mean, you can't be bullish. Like you have to be bullish everything right now. Even alts, like I didn't even show, um, where the hell is my chart? Here it is. Like this is XLM USD. Again, this is the two day chart for an altcoin. Like... <laughs> It's above the cloud for the first time since 2018. It's back. It's in that range we talked about for a couple of weeks now. Mm -hmm. So like either everything breaks down or everything like goes insane. Obviously, I'm just saying it's going to go up or down here, but uh, it's definitely at a point where a move is going to happen soon. Well, when you look at it relative to what we see here on Bitcoin, the daily is just so tight right now. I mean, we had a fake up fake down like a big nothing burger last week where that was when i expected the move um you know i'm i'm i've got long exposure to bitcoin right now so i'm paying for this consolidation at the moment which hurts um but we are due for that thousand dollar move maybe two thousand dollar move i mean when i'm looking at this i'm 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 looking for like 11.5 on the down upside and uh, that 8100 still on the on the bottom side of this immediate consolidation like I, that I think we're gonna get that severe of a move 1500 plus uh, 
off Bitcoin. So depending on the direction of that, it's going to be enormously impactful on everything else. But I, I'm struggling to see the Bitcoin relative upside on altcoins once this breaks. Like, I feel like altcoins relative to BTC are going to struggle once this breaks either way. I'm long, I'm long, I'm bullish on volatility in Bitcoin, which is in a normal, healthy crypto market is going to make me bearish on Bitcoin relative pairs of altcoins. Yeah, I think if we break down um, for BTC, we start to make this invert head and shoulders thing yep. over time. And that gives you much lower targets than I currently have. Um, like I don't, I don't expect this to go that well, but I'm not going to rule it out like eight one to seven one. Yeah. If we if, like if we can't break ten k for the eighth time, I don't know. Like what what else <laughs> is it going to take, right? That's that's why I I lean that's that's why I lean towards upside. Like the way we're pushing, I don't think market sentiment is overly bullish in crypto. It's way less. Or it's way more neutral in crypto than it is in legacy. Like legacy is basically euphoric right now um i don't think crypto is near in the height of hysteria that we see in the legacy markets uh nevertheless oh, I, I, agree. I, I still see a drastic move coming and i lean bullish mostly because we've refused to break down because we should have broken down with that big red candle the other day like that's what is fascinating to me is that after a fake break up closing that day at 10 2 right at the weekly level that was so important and then breaking down immediately and going to 94, no, as low as 91.50 on Bitstamp and it was changed depending on exchange. To recover from that, at, like that should have been the swing failure and kerplunk. And the fact that we didn't makes me feel like we've got another shot at the upside. Um, I could be dead wrong, no doubt about it, but that's what I'm personally significantly biased for because it that was the opportunity for failure uh whatever six days ago that was the absolute and if you want a hot if you want a hot take i think if we do break up it's because eth breaks up and drags btc with it now that is <laughs> like, a hot take. Looking at, <laughs> yeah yeah it is at least on the usd pair um like if you look at the on-chain metrics right now for eth eth has higher transactions per day than every period except for or, uh, late 2017, early 2018. Where are these transactions? So, are these still scam transactions? Are they DeFi or what? Well, it depends how if you want to curate this or not. <laughs> so <laughs> like from April to July, that was all scam transactions, but it's still translated into price uh, bullish rally, right? Yeah, like it didn't matter. That's fair. It shouldn't matter. Um, so I don't know. Just what I'm seeing in a vacuum on ETH right now is insane. So you got that. Obviously, most of this. Oh, this is BTC. It's less insane transactions per uh, per day. Um, most of those transactions are actually Ethereum related, and this is just like blowing up enormously um, on ETH right now. This just is absolutely insane. This is tether. So ETH uh, on the on-chain side looks crazy good. 
Yeah. Crazy, crazy good. Yeah. Uh, BTC less so, but it doesn't look like if you compare active addresses for BTC, it actually looks fine. Um, not as bullish as <laughs> transactions per day, but yeah. so from that perspective, people are definitely using crypto. So that's bullish. Yeah. That's um, the mining stuff for BTC sort of recovered. We have a plus 3% expected in a, in a week for um, difficulty okay. adjustment. We that just came off fully... of 15%. Okay, so it's minus 15% in two difficulty adjustments that we had. One was May 19th, then June 4th, minus 6 and minus 9%. And now we're looking at plus almost 3% in the reverse. So it's kind of a mean reversion after the having drop, right? Correct, yeah. That's why I read that. So we we don't know the long term so, effects, but we're it's it's uh it's stemming the the bleeding mining wise. I heard some. Yeah, we're not seeing a death spiral. We're not seeing minor capitulation. We just the the data doesn't support that. Um, I was listening to Tales from the Crypt, Marty Bent and those guys, uh, last week, and they had an interesting theory that was that. I guess there's a bunch. Was it the S9 that was kind of on the fringe of being profitable, uh, mining mm -hmm. Bitcoin around the happening? Their theory was that the people that could at the time mine on S9s essentially packed them up, sold them, and they were in transition going to places where the electricity was still cheap enough to where those S9s could be turned back on. So their theory was that some of that mining hash rate would come back. It just had to you know, those, the miners that their profitability changed, they had to shift the machines over to places where it, it could still be done profitably. Cause it makes sense. There's a, for there to be that significant resale market in mining equipment. And I kind of liked that argument for it because you would probably want to mine on your S9 all the way to the point to where it's no longer profitable, but then the Hash, hash rate drops off if you, as you pull those offline, but it doesn't mean they can't come back online somewhere else where it's still profitable to do so. Yeah, I mean, the mining conversation is complex. Yeah, I, I, I like them, though. and I, I, like they, they think deeply about on-chain stuff, so I felt like that was a, a worthy take to, to repeat. So shout out to those folks. But I, I, I agree with you and them on that, definitely. I mean... There's so many variables in mining at, at a large scale. It's crazy. Um, last thing I'll show is just the uh, ETH gas guzzlers. <laughs> Most of these are the top seven are basically scams. Uh, Except for Tether. Excluding <laughs> Tether. <laughs> depending, depending. Depending, yeah. But I, I assume anything that's unlabeled here is just a scam. scam. All right. So, Million money 2.0, uh, It's either. Baby. It's either DeFi or just straight scam. Yeah. Hey, uh, let's uh, so. rank some of these DeFi participants here. So Tether is number one. IDEX at number eight. So IDEX is a, ahead of, uh, you know, I think Kyber is a, a DEX as well, DYDX. So it's DEXs after that. Uh, but Synthetics is the first one where it's a DeFi type of product. Um, that's a kind of Synthetics... Holy cow, I missed out on that one. I owned that before it was called Synthetics and missed a gigantic return because I sold it on the first pump. 
but it's it's kind of like a CFD type of thing almost, where you're you have gold exposure or other type of exposure through crypto. But where's DeFi on here? Paxos. So I consider any I consider a Dex to be DeFi, right? Okay. Yeah, that's fair, I guess. But I don't see like the pure DeFi plays. But I guess they're not they're not going to necessarily register for all these uh, these gas usage bits. Chainlink number nineteen. That's interesting. I mean, if we look at the DeFi Pulse list of stuff, um, most of this is lending as far as like what holds most money. Yeah. So the top three are Maker, Synthetics, and Compound. And then I don't never heard of the next several. And then you get down to Uniswap at number eight, Bancor at number nine, Set Protocol at number 10. I know all of those. Lightning at number 11. That's interesting. Um, what's that number up top? This is called DeFiPulse.com. And the total value locked is 1.01 billion, and Maker's dominance is at almost 53%. So we're going to start seeing, I guess, these dominant players start to come into their own, right? In DeFi, like there's the way Tether has a dominant role in the uh, stablecoin world. Like, does DeFi have a kingmaker yet? I, I think we'll find out. I mean, Maker's definitely been up there for a long time. Yeah. But I don't know. <laughs> it's kind of a mesmerizing, mystifying place, DeFi to me. I don't necessarily like it, but as a group, it represents activity on ETH, and that activity is generally bullish. So I wouldn't really read it farther than that if you're a maximalist like me. Yeah. Uh, you have anything else interesting crypto-wise? We got a question about legacy, but I want to stick to crypto for now if we have it. Yeah, the last thing I'll say is uh, the ETH premium is at 877% today. That is crazy. The grayscale pink That's sheet. twice what it so. was, wasn't it? It was 400-something percent last time we gawked at it. Well, I don't know what to say. <laughs> that is crazy. Um... Let's see. I didn't see anything huge in terms of news that I was interested in. But we got a question about legacy markets and specifically the 2008 recession. This is Epic Phase Dairy, I think. Uh, were you guys in the stock market in 2008? If so, how did you hold off or hold up? Looking back at it now, what would you have done differently? Josh, were you trading back in 2008? I don't think so. Were no. You? no. Uh, I think we can probably replace 2008 with any gigantic down move or recessionary environment. I th honestly, I think the most recent one is as good as any. 35% uh, down was what we got. So that's a huge move. It's not 70 or whatever. But it's a uh, significant, significant down move. I think if you've traded well through that, then you could have traded decently through 2008 as well. Um, so we can talk maybe about how how we've traded through a bear market and what what would we do different looking back on bear markets that we've traded. Um, in terms of 2000, sounds like a whole new episode. It should be a whole new episode. <laughs> maybe we'll stick that in a, as a next topic. I would say I got lucky in 2008 that I was 
I was I've actually traded starting with small amounts uh, all the way back to at least 2001 because I remember sitting at my kitchen table with a little money on the sidelines thinking about whether or not I should buy the Google IPO. And I thought $88 a share was ridiculous for a company that had no product and no profit. Uh, so anyway, uh, so I traded up until 2007, 2008, but I was pretty passive as an investor. It was mostly like money I was making and the side jobs that I had and stuff. And I was finishing college in 2008 and I cashed out most of my stuff before the market bottom fell out because I was uh, paying for the end of my college and buying an anniversary or uh, engagement ring for my now wife and things like that. So uh, the money that I did have exposed, I mostly took out and I started rebuilding my uh, portfolio basically from the bottom as the reception was at its recession was at its depths. So I lucked out more than anything back then. But I, w I do remember very specifically how amazed I was as the market was transitioning downwards. And it's really easy to get pulled into a lull of things going really, really well. And then when the bottom drops out, it takes you by surprise. I think the biggest question you can run into there about yourself or whatever else is like, when do you start buying the dip? When is reasonable to start trying to, you know, go in and either catch a knife or a dollar cost averaging to broader markets or whatever else you're interested in. And uh, those really depend on the person, I guess. Um, Josh, what's your, what's one experience with a bear market? And then we'll come back to that about trade, tra how to, how to approach bear market trading. Yeah, I'm, I'm much better at uh, hedging or buying the dip than I am at like shorting in general. Just yeah. like historically, my, my gains have mainly been from uh, longs or hedges that I've flipped to non-hedges as price fell off, you know? Um, so that's kind of my strength versus like being short. Like some people love to short. Shorting uh, is inherently more difficult people. too, just the structure of most products that you can use to short with. Uh, it tends to be very expensive and very uh, also, and then very costly to your P and L if you're wrong. Whereas being wrong in a, you know, owning common shares or like actually owning underlying stock or owning Bitcoin, um, being long is just not as difficult. It doesn't cost you money to to be in the position and things like that. So it's uh, it's it's much harder to short. So usually you want to be long dollars. Like you want to think of yourself as long something rather than short something, even if you're not long in the market. <laughs> you're long you're long dollars if you're not in the market. Right. Yeah, that's a really good perspective, definitely. Um, and preserving really your buying for me. power. Like, I don't really have a magic anything. You know, I yeah. like you said already, I DCA'd post-2013. That, that was a giant bear market. Bear market. Um, I buy dips aggressively when it happens for BTC. Yeah. That's kind of it. Yeah. I would leave one more thing was I, 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 you could say we're running into it now in the legacy markets, but something I ran into after the recession when I was more active was I was looking at things in 2012 and saying, this is ridiculous. We haven't retested anything. This economy really isn't much better. Jobs are still crap. 
um, you know, this is a, this is a, sl a very slow recovery. We're talking about recovering from the Great Recession for like four years. It's stupid. Um, and it took all of my willpower to stay in the market at that point. And I think that's really common is to say, I'm gonna I'm gonna be in this disbelief mode as the market is recovering, but it doesn't feel like the fundamentals have followed the price recovery. And I think you can look at the current market, and there's an argument to be made there, despite someone like me screaming that we need more downside. Um, from a if you a pure chart perspective, you could make that same argument right now. Like we're not at all time high levels fundamentally, but lo and behold, that's what we see in the market is. Uh, the S&P 500 almost at all-time highs, the NASDAQ already at all-time highs, and we can call BS all we want, but these charts are telling us this market wants more, you know? Like, <laughs> it could be crazy, but it, it it could still be real. Yeah, as long as I keep printing money, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. That I say all that I can't, in good conscience, personally look at this and say I'm I'm confident buying at this very moment. Um, here's a here's a great thought experiment though. Let's bring it all back together. What would you rather DCA into? Crypto metals or some stock or some index? You know, that's uh, another way to look at this. If I was to structure a portfolio allocation right now and say I want percentage here, here, and here, I would probably be looking, if I'm a, let's say I'm in my, well, I guess I'm, I feel too young. So like I'm I, like when you're in your thirties or whatever, you have so long until retirement that you don't feel ex exposed. So I, uh, let's say I'm like 50. I think I'd be looking at like 50%, uh, probably like 50% cash and metals and then 20% crypto and no more than 30% equity exposure is that a cop out yeah i don't know i don't no i don't have an answer i i think i agree like depends on you where you are at in your life cycle and you know that sort of thing yeah well i i tend to get in trouble you can even include you can include um real estate in there as well like all sorts of stuff right yeah and i was trying not to not to get into every little thing but yeah i i yeah. sometimes get it fill into the trap of acting like I'm I need to minimize my downward exposure so much like I'm going to retire in the next 10 years which uh I mean would be nice I guess but <laughs> not really what my plan is so I should be able to weather more downside and maintain my risk exposure uh aka upside potential better than I do I think that's one of the failures of the way I structure my investments it's like I have a way stronger cash position than I probably should. Um, whereas my 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 tenure of like trying to catch that upside when everything feels cheap, like everything's gone down at record levels for six weeks, sure, be a buyer no matter what age you are. Um, but I shouldn't have necessarily said, okay, well, I'm going to start scaling out when I'm in my 30s and there's so much upside potential uh, and I've got plenty of time. Yeah. Fed goes burr. That was our last comment from uh, Lex Rogan. Theo Lex Rogan. Thanks for joining us in Twitch, y'all. Go to ledgerstatus.com uh, ledger to get links to all the places where you can listen to or watch this 
episode. Uh, you can catch these streams. If you follow us on Twitter, is usually the only way to get that done because uh, we don't usually give very much announcement before we get into these. But nevertheless, we appreciate y'all being here and uh, be sure to rate us in iTunes or wherever else. Send this episode to your friends that want to get invested in crypto and are talking to you about it. I think this is as decent of a guide as we've put together as any and it's certainly more from a um, investment and trading perspective than just a belief in bitcoin never talking about price type of thing uh, you can follow josh at carpe noctum on twitter and check out josh's youtube channel for great videos that he's publishing several times per week and go follow me at ledger status and go to ledgerstatus.com for everything else we do thanks so much for joining us and we will Catch you next time. Monuments crumble in the blink of an eye. The easy river has just run dry in a house.